Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great conversation to help you up your game in talent development and help your organization develop its most important asset, its people. And today, we're shifting from a little bit from development to talk more about performance management and specifically modern approaches to performance management and how you might look at revamping your performance management inside your organization, something that has been popular with a lot of companies and a lot of people over the last few months. I've been hearing a lot of people talking about this, really years. It's becoming more and more popular, especially since the pandemic. A lot of companies taking a new look at their performance management systems and processes and looking at how they can change those to adapt to the modern workplace, if you will. Well, my guest today is Karina Napuri, and Karina is a strategic talent development leader with over 15 years of experience across diverse industries within Fortune 100 and 500 organizations, and she has experience directly with revamping performance management in multiple organizations, combining deep functional HR expertise with specializations in talent development, learning, and organizational effectiveness. She has spearheaded large-scale initiatives that advance the talent strategy for organizations seeking growth and change. Karina has authored and architected high-impact programs that accelerated development. She's passionate about translating learning and OD solutions into practical, relevant, and compelling programs that stick. At the time of this recording, Karina worked at QSC, which is a leading manufacturer of power amplifiers, loudspeakers, signal processing, digital signal transport, and computer control systems, among other things. Recently, I believe she has gone out on her own as an independent consultant, but while she was at QSC, she established a completely new global learning and talent development function in a growing organization that was seeking to disrupt the market. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation if you are touching performance management at all, because we are going to look at the modern approaches 
to performance management. We're going to talk about some of the big changes that Karina has made. We're going to talk about some of the things that you need to be looking for if you're thinking about revamping performance management, things to take into consideration, and Karina will share some examples as well. So if you are involved at all with performance management, talent management, or the performance review process, you're going to want to give this a listen. All right, without further ado, here is my interview with Karina Napuri from QSC. Karina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. I'm looking forward to the conversation. As am I. We've had some great chats leading up to this, and you've been a member of the talent development think tank community for a while now. We've gotten a chance to get to know each other a little bit in there, and, and I've always loved your insights and questions. And in fact, the idea for this interview came out of a conversation we were having in the think tank about this topic, and you shared quite a few insights that I saw a lot of people nodding their heads on and taking notes and writing things down. Right. And so I wanted to bring that to our podcast to share with more people. But before we get into that topic, I'd love to hear a little bit of your background. How did you get into the realm of talent development and what are you doing today? Great. Thanks for the question. Yeah. You know, my history, Joe, a long, long time ago in a department store far, far away is where I began <laughs> in HR. Macy's on 34th street. My office was next to the C in Macy's. Mm. And in there, my, my first foray into human resources was the traditional, what we would call the human resources business partner today. And I spent quite a bit of time doing that, that work. And that was where my role in calibrating performance and assisting managers and measuring performance and improving performance and so forth began. I did soon find that my energy and enthusiasm was in leadership development and OD type of work. And so I started to specialize there, I don't know, about 25 years of my career the first 12 would have been in traditional HR roles. And then since then, I've been in talent development and haven't looked back. Ah, I love it. Okay. So I have to ask, you worked at Macy's on 34th Street. Did you work at all in the parade? Did you do anything with the parade? Yes. Actually, I played a role in the in Santa Land, more so than the parade. And I okay. had a role in the parade where support, the same team that supports the parade also supports Santa Land. Okay. Secret, there's more than one Santa. No and way. So, yeah, all this time. And so we train our Santas and our elves. And my role in the parade has really been, hey, I've helped you all with this, with the Christmas uh, setup. How about you can help me by getting me into the parade, get me a good seat. And I mean, we have a whole initiative around organizing that clown school, mm. so many roles to play. And before I moved out to California from New York, my request was, can we get my daughter onto a float that's going to get some airtime? Yeah. Of course, she was not appreciative of the fact that she was in the Barney float because by the age of eight, that was no longer cool. <laughs> right. And uh, so that's a whole story unto itself. That's Take what fun. you can get. That's right. right. You're on TV. You're on national Barney's TV. getting airtime. You know, I'm just yeah. saying. Oh, the Santa <laughs> Land makes me think, have you have you read or listened to David Sedaris's uh, Santa Land Diaries? I have not. And now I must. Oh, it's such a must. For those <laughs> out there that probably that know David Sedaris is a famous satirist, writer, and comedian, and he has a whole essay that he did on when he worked early in his career in Santa land at Macy's and just kind of making fun of everything that was happening there. It was aired on NPR multiple times on This American Life and other things. So it's, it's really, really good. Highly recommend it. And as a funny aside, since yeah. I was responsible for training and development in my final years in New York, yeah. because we were training the elves and the Santas, 
I had a very specific trainer who would run that class because mm-hmm. she, you had to be strong to handle the out of work actors who were really playing their elf and Santa roles mm-hmm. very strongly. So I'm sure there's plenty of those stories in Sedaris's work. Yes. And to be fair, I think his time there was probably before your time. So, you know, maybe things get better. I'm not sure, but uh, you have to check that out. Okay. So I want to get, <laughs> I want to get into this topic of performance management and really shifting the way we look at performance management. I'm hearing a lot of companies doing different things, getting rid of the traditional performance review and annual review and the nine box and all these sorts of things. And other companies saying we're struggling to to do things. We don't know what to do or how to change. And of course, a lot of companies change things as a result of COVID, right? With people not being in the office as much anymore. He said, let's give people a break for a little while. But then that raised the question, okay, where do we go from here? So maybe you could start with a little bit of story of like, how did you get into this space of making changes with performance management what was the impetus and, and what are some of the things that you found that were broken or, or needed to be fixed? Great question. Actually, I think all organizations struggle with their performance management systems and seek to improve it. I have, in terms of modernizing performance and and the impetus to do so, goes back a ways. Uh, we were inspired actually by a a blog post from Atlassian back in 2011, our Mm. great experiments in eliminating performance ratings. And our organization had a really burning platform to eliminate more operationalized and traditional systems. And we did some, we've done more than one. In fact, I have in more than one company made that effort to modernize performance management. Eliminating the ratings is not always the solution. And one of the things that we've talked about in the talent development think tank a few weeks ago, uh, one of the lessons learned is get very clear on what you're trying to solve for. If you're clear on what you're trying to solve for, you might learn that eliminating ratings is not the answer. And one of the lessons that you can find in not just conversing with other people who have made this effort, but there's quite a bit of research with corporate executive board, now Gartner. Also, there's some really good insights in McKinsey on what are the conditions that you need to take into consideration when you're clear that, yes, we are trying to solve for something for which eliminating ratings, if that's your path is the right move. And so, you know, you have to consider the existing systems that you have today. What are the norms that are actually in place? And how are you going to make sure that the perception of fairness still exists in the new way that you want to design your review process? And so all of those variables actually weigh in on how one might approach it. And we can talk about some specifics if you'd like. Definitely. I want to start with getting clear on what you're trying to solve for, which is so important for anything that you're doing, right? Taking that consultative approach and really asking the questions and getting curious and understanding, okay, what's our situation now? What exactly are we trying to solve for? Because this can, like many things in the talent development world, become a shiny object or like, oh, yes, I heard that, you know, Karina's team eliminated talent reviews and and our people always hate annual reviews. So we should get rid of those as well. You have to ask the question, why, to what end, and what are you hoping to accomplish? So what what do you see as some of the reasons that you would want to revamp performance management? You know, it's an interesting point because what makes a best practice, a best best practice is doing that actual assessment work you're describing, like Mm. get very, very clear on where you are today and assess the gap between where you'd like to be before you can make some of those decisions. So some of the scenarios that I've attempted, uh, example one is 
in an organization that had high turnover. And the by the time it just went with the territory, the high percent of part-time employees to full-time employees in retail. Mm-hmm. And so how do then do you make the performance review system one that people can respond to? In a high turnover industry, if you're addressing performance, you want to be very, very clear very early on in the onboarding process, what does success look like. And so in that case, we operationalized our reviews. We did not eliminate, we reduced the number of metrics and made them very, very clear, very early. Completely the opposite approach I took with a subsequent company at a bank where our goal was to, you know, at a bank, you measure numbers. It's it's a numbers oriented uh, industry as it should be. And we want to retain that. But what we wanted to do was increase our focus on how the job gets done without losing the focus on the objectives that we had clearly defined. And we did our own assessment of, okay, what are other banks doing? What are other companies that measure performance in this way doing? And how do we increase it? And in that case, we increased our emphasis on competencies and so forth. But in both examples, plus a third, the COVID example that I'd like to share, one of the things that we did well was do the research, find out the information from the executives, what are they seeking to achieve? Get clear on your norms and then find out what else you don't know from your employees. What are your employees feeling? What do they think is unfair? What are your managers feeling? Where can they use help? And then pilot. Every time I have piloted this, our hypothesis was very sound, very well informed, but we learned something from the pilot and said, you know what? We thought we should eliminate this approach and we realized that didn't deliver the outcome we were seeking let's tweak it. And in all of the cases where we've done some type of modernization and a number of places where we've eliminated the reviews in companies where I've worked, that pilot bore out to be very important and allowed us to change our focus on the communication, the reasons why we're doing it, how we know it's going to work and what support the managers are going to need. Mm. Can you give an example of where you might've formed a hypothesis and thought you were onto something and then you held a pilot and, and thought, oh, that was actually not the direction we needed to go? Yes. Actually, the bank is one good example. There are a number of others, but the bank is a good example because our initial approach was actually anchored on the um, some of the neural leadership work that reveals that performance reviews you know, present a threat. And therefore, the ratings, a rating scale of one through five was giving people, actually at the time, forgive me, it was a rating scale of A, B, C, D, E. They didn't want numerical ratings. And that left an impression of, you know, I got an A, I'm not aiming for a C, I'm aiming to be an A player and the association we make with grades. So we knew we needed to eliminate that and we wanted to increase performance uh, quality. And so we instead evaluated performance on a continuum, which was, you know, at, above, and an arrow. There were no numbers, there were no letters. And that what wound up happening is after the pilot, we realized this is an industry where numbers matter. So let's get clear on how our numbers are going to be portrayed and increase our emphasis on qualitative performance and the training around qualitative performance and break down you know, the percent of the review that's on quality versus quantity. So the the attempt to eliminate and have a conceptual continuum actually didn't work. People wound up bringing back measures of performance and they gave us feedback that it was way too conceptual and esoteric. They liked the idea of having more conversations about quality and forward-looking conversations about developments, but they did not like the the mechanism that was being used to, to illustrate that. 
Mm, that's a good observation. Okay. What other things do we need to take into consideration? That was another question that you posed there. Like what things do we need to take into consideration when we are creating, doing something like this? Right. So I would say one of the key considerations to get maybe the deal breaker consideration, one of them, but the biggest one and the one that has the most impact is how are you going to convey compensation? How will you differentiate performance and contribution from a pay standpoint? What exists today and what will exist in the absence of performance, traditional performance ratings, if that's the path you're taking. There's a really good research on a total rewards, the impact of eliminating ratings on total rewards and some of the lessons that you can learn from people who've made this effort in the past. The hypothesis is when you eliminate ratings, people feel better, it's easier. Well, after two years of work, you might find people feel good about not having to write a self-evaluation or review form year one, year two, they're wondering, well, gee, how did you come up with your decision on how to reward my performance over the last year? And so get very clear on the connection between rewards, what you're measuring and how you differentiate your top performers. The consequence of not doing so is that your top performers will think they're getting the same pay as everybody else, why bother? A risk not worth taking. And so that's one. The other one that I would say is really critical is to get to know your norms, get really clear on the norms that exist in the organization from your manager's style of communication standpoint. One lesson learned at my company today during COVID to your earlier point, we had to kind of change everything. The goals we set at the beginning of the year, they were no longer relevant. We all had to make a pivot probably everyone in every organization had to pivot in some way. And so in our case, our norms are a very polite, very kind-hearted, very nice organization. So one of the norms underneath that is not giving, you know, the constructive feedback when somebody needs to adjust very quickly. And so we went through an assessment, okay, what are the guiding principles we're going to use to make sure we're paying people fairly? and norms that we know exist that we can encourage or reinforce and then get rid of everything else. And we, we looked at, okay, how do we, what is this? The guiding principles were simplicity, accountability, clarity, and trust. And if we couldn't meet those four guiding principles on any decision we made about the performance review, we were not going to take that step. And that led to, okay, how are we going to now review performance absent the goals? And we wound up with, um, it was, align, acknowledge, and ask. It was a little bit of a mnemonic that made it easy to remember, but we wanted to align around here. Here's where we align on what we set out at the beginning of the year, what we needed to pivot to do, and where we are today. Let's talk about aligning in a go-forwards basis. We wanted to acknowledge the achievements and the strengths that did happen, one, before the pandemic, and two, after the pandemic, we want to acknowledge all the hard work that was done. And then one of the things our CEO loved the most was introducing this ask, where we empowered the employees as a place in the actual review form to ask for needed support. Because we knew our managers were working hard, we knew our employees were working hard, and we wanted to make sure we found out, is there anything else we need to do that can support you? And so that was an assessment of how do we pay in this situation? How do we eliminate the, the way we did the review before, but make sure that our norms are managed and we provide support throughout the year on, on mitigating some of the potential risks? 
That's great. And the next thing I was going to ask you about was the possible risks, right? The perceived and and real risks. And one of the biggest one being perceived unfairness, right? And people think, well, how does this affect me? And this person over here, you know, got a better review. We've been doing the same work and that sort of stuff. So how, what are some of the risks and how do you address those? Yes. Great question. That is in my view, it necessitates the OD talent development, the the senior HR team to really assess what systems do we have in place already today. When you limit traditional ratings, you will find managers bringing back the things that they miss. And so what is it that they miss and what do you have today that you can leverage and increase your focus on so that you don't wind up finding little remnants and, and examples of you know people bringing things from their past back into place and undermining. So what do you have a talent review process? And if so, how do you enhance it? The talent review, was it tied with your performance management process? If so, how do you then communicate the change and what this does today from a forward-looking standpoint versus yesterday, which was a backward-looking review approach. If you have it separate and decoupled, great. That's a, it's an easier path to here's the way in which we're going to calibrate across the company, how we're assessing our top talent and how we're defining what a high performer and a high contributor is. Uh, But those systems need to either be clear and leveraged and reinforced in order to withstand some of the elimination of the the traditional methods, if you will, on reviewing performance. And then finally, really important, be very clear on the process for onboarding new managers and the extra steps you're going to take throughout the year for those new managers on here's how we manage performance. Every new manager has a lot to learn when they first join. So you want to have, you know, strategic onboarding meetings, and then a potentially, in my case, what we did is it was a separate training for new managers that were doing reviews for the first time or performance assessment on the first time in the absence of the ratings. Yeah, that, w- that leads to a good question, which mm-hmm. you're already kind of addressing here, which is how do we get managers aligned to this new way of managing performance and make sure that they're doing it right because they've got a lot of things going on. They get confused. They've, if they've been there for a while, they might be tied to the old ways of doing things. Can you comment a little bit more on how you get people aligned and, and kind of trained for lack of a better word to do things the right way? You know, there's a number of ways to approach it, but, but certainly uh, communicate clearly and simply and frequently and provide training. In fact, all of the research that you take a look at with respect to both successes and failures with respect to modern performance practices have a lot to do with the investment in time and support with the managers. It is a significant area of investment. The faulty assumption is, oh, this makes things easier. That's actually not true. It puts more energy and emphasis on how you train your managers and communicate from a change management standpoint to the employees and to the managers on how how we're going to proceed going forward. You want to make sure it's very clear and that, you know, ideally you start your communication six weeks prior to the change. And there's a way for you to do that. So you state, here's what's, here's what we're, what's coming. Here's what's here. And here's where we are throughout the year. Review, most organizations do have their performance evaluations tied to the fiscal calendar. So there are strategic points where you can support throughout the year, depending on what your current norm is. If your norm is to communicate quarterly, obviously you want to reinforce that. If your norm is, oh, we only do it once a year, then you want to introduce other methods for people to have performance conversations that don't have to be tied to a rating, but we're still 
giving people clear expectations. We're still clarifying how to provide additional support and train. We're still helping managers assess performance broadly and with their line of sight on how the department is running. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Excellent. Can you share a couple success stories of, of how this has worked well? I know we talked about like before the pilot that where you learn new things, but maybe a couple examples would probably be helpful for people. Yeah. So I have two examples. One goes back to a medical device company that I worked at that had about 10,000 employees. We had a lot of regional approaches to how we review performance and we had a really strong base of talent review and the uh, nine box talent review process, but a lot of disparate approaches in the reviews themselves and how we evaluated performance. So we knew we wanted to eliminate performance ratings in their traditional sense. We also knew that there was a perception at that organization of, well, how do we differentiate who the top performers are? And so we had a lot of, we took a lot of intake from uh, employees in different regions around the organization globally as well in different countries and so forth, and from the managers and ask them questions about what do you hope for? If you can get rid of one thing, what would it be? If you can keep one thing, what would it be? And if we can help you with one thing, what would it be? And just helping them zero in on those three things gave us a lot of information. And so with armed with that information and looking at the best practices, learning what we wanted to achieve and what we needed to know from our employee base, we had a proposal to, okay, we know we've hired people who love the company. They're doing great work. For the most part, everybody's meeting expectations. And so how we're going to approach compensation is we're just going to make the command decision that everybody gets an increase and that what we'll do instead is differentiate the top performers. And then we put our investment and our energy on distinguishing what top contribution looked like. And we captured those conversations in our talent review, which was already strong. So that way, by the time we get to the compensation conversations and differentiating pay, we could be clear on who. And then we also supported the managers and training to communicate to them clearly and transparently why. Without the training to the managers on how to have the conversations and why we made that change, that would have failed. And it was a great success. We continued to reinforcement, reinforce it in, the, in year two and put enhancements around year three. So the more you can look back, pilot, and then assess again, and the more you can put reinforcements in place for what you're aiming to, to improve, the better it will be. Another example um, is the we we did abandon our traditional review ratings at the current company that I work at from COVID. And that example I explained earlier, like what are the principles we're going to use to eliminate Mm -hmm. traditional ratings? What do we need to catch that we might miss? One of those that led to success. We were looking for, you know, under what conditions, if we eliminate the goals from the reviews, most people will find relief. Is there a group within our organization that 
might resent that. And our supply chain team, as we all know, supply chain went through quite their own mm -hmm. initiative. I mean, they, the amount of effort they put in to continue the organization moving forward was magnanimous. So for those folks, if we didn't have a place to capture their achievements, which we initially were hypothesizing we would do, they would have resented it. And those folks helped us get through some very hard times. And so just making sure you're clear on how will we broadly approach it? Is there something we're not thinking about from a high-performing group? And how we address pay will allow for these systems to come in place. And then, of course, you do your check-ins as often as possible mm. and refine as you go. Anything else that you think people need to be thinking about, keeping in mind as they look at maybe revamping their performance management process? You know, I would say, you know, the way your organization operates and the things that already exist, absent performance reviews that already are measurements that people use. If you start with that, that's a norm that's understood that won't increase or go away when traditional performance ratings and numbers go away. What are those? And then build and research how organizations have attempted that before to come up with the best solution. As an example, agile organizations, they are ones that are very team and then very long-term projects and iterate year over year. So there's a way to approach goal setting, absent reviews that match very well up to the agile organization. And if you can line up your norms to how you discuss uh, goals and end of year successes to that process, it's an easier adoption because it's something familiar. Mm, very important. All right, as we get close to wrapping this up, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions more broadly about what people are looking for as we move into this new world, post-COVID world, future of work, and especially around this idea of inclusion in the workplace. I know you've done a lot of study on this recently in the, the DEI realm and this idea of perceived outcomes. What are you seeing right now and, and how things are changing and what people want from a culture and, and to feel and, and what we can do to help them feel more included? Yeah. So great question. I recently completed a certification with Yale University on fostering inclusion and, diver and diversity. Uh, Dr. Amy Wersniewski, I don't know if I pronounced that right. And Dr. Heidi Brooks, they're amazing. And they made this distinction very clearly about equity perceived equity mm -hmm. and justice. And they distinguish between procedural justice and distributive justice. Hmm. And the difference is distributive justice are the things that you do. How do you pay? What do you recognize? How are people promoted? Those things can be very fairly done, but if it's not perceived as transparent, it will lead to people concluding that they don't have a fair play. Mm -hmm. So you need to do both. And while we're in the future of work and people are looking for inclusion and for a fair workplace, the the, I think what happened when we all went hybrid is the need for clear communication always was there, but it revealed it and, and, mm -hmm. and kind of magnified it. And so communicating very clearly, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. We want your feedback all the way through the process. We'll improve your procedural justice and allow you to reinforce the distributive justice. So it's, it's pretty deep stuff, but at, the, yeah. at a high level, making it clear and transparent so that it's legitimate, it's perceived legitimate as fair while reinforcing it in your systems. Having both in place 
will make sure you mitigate the perception of reinforcing the majority at the expense of the minority. Right. So it's this difference between, you said, procedural justice, which is what you are doing behind the scenes or the systems you're setting up and your intentions of how you plan on treating people equally and things like that versus the actual perceived justice. I forget what you called it. Distributive justice. Distributive justice, which is what people see, right? And I've said this many times in many different ways. I talk about personal brand, other stuff. People's perceptions are their reality. It doesn't matter what you know you were thinking or trying to do behind the scenes, you know, that the classic saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Like, oh yes. yeah, you planned on creating a, a safe and equitable environment, but what are people actually seeing and what do they perceive the culture and the environment is like? And that's what impact is, you know, how they feel. Right. And one of the nice activities we did in inside of that uh, certification was this uh, description of the unusual suspects was the, was the project. So mm-hmm. there's an assessment of, what are your dem- demographics? What do you represent? And you, know, you, know, you fill it out. And now who are the people that you tend to go to when you're leading an initiative? List, 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 list. Now look at their area demographics. Who did you leave out hmm. by chance? Did you by chance leave people out? And through that initiative, I realized, oh, I'm not asking enough people at this level of the organization. I'm kind of operating at the senior level. While I do take the information from from entry-level employees, I wasn't doing enough of it. And in this case, our initiative was to increase inclusion for women. So I went and had conversations with women at all levels of the organization and presented back the unusual suspects perspective that revealed an entirely new way uh, to approach inclusion. And it's pretty cool. It revealed the perceptions versus our actions. Our actions were fair. uh, Our justice was, and our decision-making was fair, but it didn't appear that way to a group that we needed to, to, to learn about. Can, Can you give an example of that? I mean, within whatever you were able to reveal. It has to do with, in this particular case, it has to do with communication norms and meeting norms. There was a perception that the one person had the perception that it was the extroverts that get rewarded. Another mm. person had the perception that it was the men that get rewarded. Another person had the perception that it's the intellectual guru that gets rewarded. But mm. really what was happening was we were in some cases not making space for those who don't by nature contribute for us to communicate. And so yeah. the, the person who would communicate for us, fill in the blank on who and the reason why made a statement. And then we had a self-reinforcing mechanism to agree being Mm. a polite company and left out some folks. And so the interesting thing is I spoke to all women and they all had a different reason for why that happened. And they really just had to do with how do we then create inclusion? And they gave very rich feedback on improving inclusion for them in those spaces. Mm. And we translated that into the review process and so forth. It was very revealing. So good. And such a great reminder that sometimes the best solution to making these processes better is just to get curious and ask the people who are impacted by them for their feedback, right? What are they thinking and what are they perceiving so that you can see it from their perspective instead of just looking at the data and saying, well, everything's fair, we're fine, right? But if they're not perceiving it that way, then you've you've got a problem. In fact, one of the things to your point that I I now incorporate as a regular norm is I specifically ask in meetings when I'm running them, or even if I'm participating, I say Mm -hmm. things, what did we miss? 
I ask that because I'm assuming somebody has a perspective that they may have reframed and Mm. we're teaching our executives and our leaders to do the same. What did we miss? What's wrong with our hypothesis? What did we overlook? We're, We're saying out loud, we know it's there. We want you to help us. And that opens the door for person A, B, C, or D that thinks, oh, well, they're the extroverts go taking the meeting one way to come in and say, oh, I have an insight that there's now space to share. So that's one of our new norms that we're putting in place. Excellent. Karina, this has been a fantastic conversation. You shared so many great insights, so much wisdom here. I really appreciate you taking the time. For anybody listening who wants to reach out and get in touch with you, maybe they have questions or want some help with some of these things. I know you're doing some consulting on some of this stuff as well. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? You know, thank you for saying that. Yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I have so much research from having attempt, you know, with the reviews in particular, as well as I can provide some information on the certification that I was describing earlier. But because I've done this implementation at a number of different organizations, I'm happy to share the research that was very revealing and also some lessons, learns, and insights that may help them. Ooh, yeah, we're gonna have to do a call inside the think tank community to share that research as well and get a discussion sure. going. So if you're listening and you want to dig into some of that research, reach out to Karina on LinkedIn, Karina Napuri, and we'll have links and notes in our show notes. And if you're not connected with me, following me on LinkedIn, make sure you do that as well. And if you're not a member of the talent development think tank, come connect and check it out and come join us for that future call. Karina, what's your experience been like in the think tank community so far? It really is a wonderful resource. Um, I network quite a bit with a lot of groups and organizations. And what I find that is most helpful for me is I feel that there are, there's a group of people who is very generous with their insight. They are all have great depth of experience, both technically and then broadly speaking in industry. And it really just allows for an information exchange of practices that people have taken on and kind of broadens your thinking and allows us to remain current in all of the things we're trying to attempt simultaneously in different organizations. It's, I regret when I'm not able to attend one of the events. They're very rewarding. Love it. Well, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And that's exactly what we've been trying to create with the Talent Development Think Tank community. It is community focused, all about leveraging the wisdom and experience from everybody in the room, not just the gurus or the guest speakers that we do sometimes have. And we appreciate you being a member. And for those listening, if you're not a member, if you want to find out more information, head on over to our website, tdtt.us. Karina, thank you again for being here. And I will talk to you again soon. Very good. Thank you so much. All right, that will do it for my interview with Karina Napuri from QSC about revamping the performance and talent management process. I hope you got some value from that conversation. Hopefully you took some notes and you have some things that you can go do as a result. I have not done much work in this space. I get questions about it quite a bit. So it's always good for me to have these conversations and learn from experts like Karina who have done this before so that I can have intelligent conversations about it when I get asked about it and also refer people to others who have done the work like Karina. By the way, this wholly came up because we had a conversation and a call inside the Talent Development Think Tank community about performance management. And Karina spoke up and shared some of her experiences. And I was really impressed, as were others, with some of the things she had to say which is why we went ahead and booked this interview for the podcast. 
And as you can tell, we're having a lot of conversations about these topics inside the Talent Development Think Tank. I also find a lot of guests for the show from members in Think Tank because I get to hear what they're working on, the insights they have. I get to hear some of their expertise. And my fundamental belief is that everybody out there, you included, has expertise and experience in some area that just hasn't really gotten a chance to be shared yet, right? We hear so much from the so-called gurus and the so-called experts with their webinars and things because they're out there showing off. And when we go to conferences, we often get to hear from just a handful of speakers, even though there are so many other people in the crowd who have so much wisdom and experience that they could share if just given the chance. And that was the actual reason why I created the first Talent Development Think Tank conference back in 2019. We hosted it in January 2020. It was a big hit. Everybody's favorite conference they've ever been to. We heard that from almost everybody there. And then the pandemic hit and we couldn't go to conferences anymore. And that's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank community in May of 2022. And we are now over two years old with over 100 members and people love it. Everybody in there in talent development in some way or another. And it is still sticking with the same philosophy and thesis for which I started it, which is that it's community first, that we tap into the wisdom of everybody in the room, that we are inclusive and diverse, and we let everybody speak up, and we hear from all different points of view. And it's not just about the speakers, although we do bring in some great guest speakers. We want everybody to be able to ask questions and share their point of view as well. So if you're looking for a community like that, that is diverse, it's equitable, it is inclusive, and everybody there, I, I hope, feels like they belong, then come check us out. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. And when you join, you can use code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, to get 10% off your subscription. Our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. They help organizations develop great people, and you can find out more by going to the Advantage website at advantageperformance.com. All right, that will do it for today's episode. Stay tuned for our bonus Q&A round with Karina Napuri. It'll be coming out in just a couple days. I'll talk to you then. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.